Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, I'm joined by novelist and podcaster Darby Harn to discuss all things Batman. It's the Batman episode. We talk about the character's enduring legacy and cultural significance before digging into some of the big ideas of Matt Reeves' 2022 film, The Batman. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by purchasing There Was an Idea merchandise from Spring. The link is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Just a quick note before you get into this week's episode, I do have to apologize for a bizarre quality to the audio this week. As I was recording with my guest Darby, I noticed I noticed an issue with the audio that we troubleshooted and did a few different things, but couldn't quite figure out. I could only hear it on my end. There's um, some repetition of some of the words that he says, and then it cuts off some of the other words. I did my best to edit around this, but there are imperfections that I could not quite work around. It gets a little bit better as the recording goes on, but as I said, it's not up to the usual standard of our recordings here at There Was an Idea, but this is no fault of my guest Darby's. He was an incredibly insightful guest who has so much history and thoughtful ideas about Batman and the most recent Batman film, so please stick with it. There's so much awesome stuff that he has to say, and despite the audio imperfections, the the meaning and insight behind everything he has to say is clear and powerful, so please do stick with it. And apologies again to both Darby and to listeners for the substandard audio quality. Today, I am thrilled to welcome a brand new guest to the show. I'm joined by novelist and podcaster Darby Harn. Darby is the author of a number of novels in the science fiction and superhero genres, a writer for Screen Rant, and one of the hosts of the Shelf Warmers podcast, where he and his co-host discuss toy collecting and loads of other fun and nerdy topics. Darby, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a real treat to be on. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here because you and I connected over social media when you reached out about joining me to talk Batman. And since that time, I've learned more about your work and listened to your podcast. And I'm so honored to have you here because you do such cool stuff. So why don't you tell listeners a little bit more (laughs) about you and your work? Well, that's very kind of you. I always sort of like... I struggle with describing exactly what I do with the writing. I think most writers do, Mm -hmm. but um, I write a bunch of different stuff, but yeah, I do have a a series, which I sort of call superhero. They're sort of, uh, if I can be bold, they're literary takes on superheroes. Uh, Ever the Hero is the first novel in the series. I'm uh, generally calling the Eververse series. And it's basically my sort of attempt to sort of approach all these things, all these things, these tropes and ideas that I've loved since I was a kid through a sort of a more literary approach and a more sort of um, uh, intellectual approach. And one of the reasons um, that I'm really excited to talk about that is because this particular movie is deals with a lot of the themes, the practical realities of what it means to, to have a hero in the quote unquote real world. And that fascinates me. That, that was sort of the driving behind Ever the Hero, which in a nutshell is just, it's about a a character named Kit Baldwin who's growing up in a city where uh, in a world in a world uh, people have to pay for superheroes you get a superhero bill at the end if you want their services and if you don't pay it, it you don't get any help that's the general wow. sort of nutshell and 
Um, so those sort of ideas, those themes, those themes of um, classism and haves and have-nots and social strata, people of extreme power, power that really fascinates. And that's always kind of been inherent in Batman in some degree. So I, I've always been in interest respect. And I love to talk, talking about those two big sort of themes. And we talk about that on the podcast. My uh, friend Sugu, we go back, go back to college, uh, the Trinity College in Dublin. We just, over the pandemic, felt like we had to reconnect and sort of talk about nerdy. We talk about toys, boys. We talk about a lot of pop culture things, uh, MCU stuff, of course, and uh, all the relevant stuff, you know, that kind of comes into that sort of academic stuff, political stuff, what have you. So that's it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for sharing more information about, about your book series. I'm really excited to check it out because that sounds right up my alley. And I really am intrigued by by those ideas, uh, especially related to paying for the services of superheroes. That's such a cool, a cool concept. And I, I've had the opportunity to check out your podcast, and I really like the work that you guys do over there too. So I'm uh, really honored that you wanted to to come and join me on this on this show today. I uh, I love the podcast. I've I've been listening uh, listening to your podcast uh, about a year, I guess, going going back to Division somewhere in there, Falcon and Winter Soldier. And it's one of my favorite podcasts. That makes me honestly feel uh, really honored to hear to hear you say that. So we have a little bit of a mutual appreciation society going on. As I mentioned, our topic tonight is all things Batman. So here on There Was an Idea, I typically ask new guests to share their relationship to the MCU. And I know you're an MCU fan, and I'm sure you'll be back on the podcast again to talk MCU. But for our purposes tonight, what is your relationship to Batman? Uh, it's lifelong. Um, I don't remember where I first, enc- first encountered Batman's memory is of the Adam West show. I'm not that not that old. I remember watching the reruns since, uh, when I was a kid. So I was four or five, whatever, and they'd run them on like, like weekday afternoons or something. And just right, just like everybody else, right, right from the jump, I was just like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, this is around the same time, time Super Friends cartoon. So uh, I was watching that as well. So this is like 1980, maybe. So that's an early start with the character. Yeah. <laughs> is your relationship, you know, obviously started with live action and the cartoon. How about comics? Yeah, I don't remember the first comic I read, but it had to have been in that in that time frame. I was I was probably like a lot of uh folks boys around around this time. I walked directly out of the theater from Star Wars and started reading uh the comic books on the rack at the supermarket. I have really strong memories of sitting <laughs> sitting on the floor back when there were actual newsstands <laughs> and I reading the comic books. I just read all of them because I couldn't afford them, even even when they were what were they, twenty five cents? I'm dating myself, but <laughs> so I would sit there and read them, and I'd read them, and I'd of course Batman because back then it was the newsstand was uh, relatively in terms of the volume and the diversity you, you have in comics today. So it was only really big, heavy hitters, X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman that you would find on the stand. And so I don't remember the first Batman comics I read. All I just know they were early. So it was in that time frame. Very cool. My my own knowledge of and relationship to Batman, while it is significant to me and it did start 
in childhood for me in, in the 90s with the animated series and in syndication and yeah. uh, Batman Forever, which I've talked about on the podcast many times as being mm-hmm. like a, a formative movie I saw as a young kid, just because I think one of my parents came home with the VHS and was like, here, kids, here's a here's a Batman. Watch this thing. <laughs> but but while my relationship to the character is significant, it's not as deep as my relationship to the MCU. And I don't feel... Sure. I don't feel like a Batman expert in the way I feel like an MCU expert, especially now after spending a couple Mm of years podcasting about the MCU. So I'm excited to learn more from you tonight as we uh, talk about the enduring legacy of this character. A couple months back, back in November, I did an episode with Trey of MCU Need to Know, and we talked about Spider-Man. And the research I did at that time established Spider-Man as the most popular superhero in the world, Batman being the second most popular. And Mm -hmm. both of these characters are so present in the culture that you don't have to have, uh, you don't have to be a superhero fan to know who they are and likely have many connotations with them and opinions on them. Batman has been around since 1939 and has endured as a cultural icon for decades. So why is that? What makes Batman so popular Mm -hmm. and why has he resonated with such a large audience for so long? I think there's two main reasons. I think the one is probably the one everybody is conscious of, which is that he's that he's just the ultimate power fantasy. I think he he's he's gorgeous. He's super strong. He's got all the money. He's got all the toys, and he goes and he fights crime, and it he's perfect at everything except maybe you know his self. But he, I think, very beginning those elements of sort of the of uh at the aspiration quality of batman has been there mm. and you know he's very he was superman since the first superhero 1939 and he's the ultimate aspirational figure but batman was the second r- r- hero to come out of that p- that period and he was the first that people could actually be yeah and that i think had enormous appeal in 1939 it's had enormous appeal ever since i feel like and that leads into the second part of why I think he's so en- so enduring is because he's adaptable. The thing about Batman is that he he could be could be molded shape to fit to any particular time frame he's in. So why you get things that's wildly varying as Batman sixty six, the Adam West iteration, to something like the Robert Pattinson one, which don't even seem like could be the same character, but they're yeah. but they're they're actually just on different ends of the spectrum. And all in between, you have all these wildly different takes. That include, you know, the Nolan films, obviously, and then, of course, the um, the Joel Schumacher takes, which, again, are very much on the other side. But whatever the circumstances, whatever the period, uh, Batman the Animated Series, I think, for my money, is the best realization of Batman that we've ever had. Um, he fits into the shape, and I think it's that ultimate sort of infinite adaptability, adaptability and all the characters that sort of, pop, sort of populate his universe selling. Yeah, I'm struck by a few things as as you're talking about that. I'm struck by, you know, thinking about Spider-Man and Batman as being the the two most popular superheroes and and thinking about how on the surface they might seem like very 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 different characters, right? Where Peter Parker represents the kind of the everyman who just so yeah. happens to get bit by this spider and you know, he's fighting for the little guy, you know, Bruce Wayne is is the 1%, right? Bruce Wayne has the wealth, but at the same time uh, both of these characters do have a similarity that they've been through this trauma. They they both have this secret identity story, which is uh, always something that I think draws audiences in and gets you thinking about, you know, the ways in which you have 
dual identities in your own life. And to your point, there's that aspirational quality. They're admirable and aspirational. And yet there's still something about, huh, like this guy doesn't actually have superpowers, right? This isn't Superman. This isn't this untouchable uh, thing that I can't be. Absolutely. He's sort of, and then right away, he's got all the archite- architecture of Batman is at the very beginning. I mean, you have the Batmobile, you have the cost- costume, which actually the costume today. You have right away in Batman number one in 1940, you have the Joker and Catwoman both, right? Yeah. I mean, right from the top. It's it's extraordinary. And then just a little bit later, you have Robin and Robin. And so elements that all this, all the structure of that we that still works today, and we still expect that most every version we we get was all there. And I think it's just sort of the perfect sort of vehicle for that sort of aspirational thing, where it's sort of where I think the Dark Knight, sort of the, the idea of him being a knight of beat of being the um, knight errant, almost be mm-hmm. sort of figure. He's alone. He's fighting this fight alone. It's a sort of capital R romantic sort of. Uh, notion to what he's doing i think doing i think it all comes out of this idea that he's uh closer to sort of ideas sort of sort of myth- mythical ideas sort of you know arthur um things like that than yeah. he is sort of the comic book figures that he's asso- that he's associated with yeah that's really interesting when i think about what draws me to the character personally i you know recognizing all of the reasons why you know at least the reasons that we've touched on and all of the reasons that I imagine have made him such a, a staple in the in the culture for so long. Uh, personally, <laughs> there's actually a moment in the Lego Batman movie where <laughs> Barbara Gordon is giving a, a speech and up on the screen behind her, it says, what's good about Batman? And it lists lots of cool <laughs> gadgets, loves punching, excellent brooding. And uh, that that kind of captures it for me, where it's like Batman is this character who seems very cool and alluring. And his world, to you, to your point, mm-hmm. the characters around him and Gotham, right? It's this mysterious, alluring world. And yet he has no business being as cool as he is because he's kind of ridiculous <laughs> and weird. Uh, and that, yeah. <laughs> that, that juxtaposition of like cool gadgets and like he's a cool, you know, crime fighter and he's brooding all the time, um, I'm in. <laughs> so what is yeah. it for you that that draws you to the character personally? I think that when I when I was a kid, it was sort of the the hardware and just the coolness of it all. He's got the plane, he's got the Batmobile, he's got, he can do anything, he's smart. And then the bad guy, he's got the best blurry in all of literature, I think it's safe to say. You, I mean, you, I mean it, he starts off with the Joker and Cat, Batwoman, and it only gets her from there. It's it's kind of insane. Yeah. And then they're all, most of his villains, his major villains are all villains or albums of him. Yes. In that cla- classic sort of hero way that I think the best sort of stories embody. And so they all, they all sort of, they're all contrasty, but they're also mirrors. They all embody different aspects of sort of psychology, which is super fascinating. And as I've gotten older, that's the most intriguing thing. I, I do think there is a lot potentially, and as a character, certainly certainly as we get into the era that we're living in now, I think there's a lot that to a character like that, a potential depth that I, I think is worth exploring. It's worth asking ourselves, why is this character popular? Yeah. Be interested in a in a in a billionaire who dresses up in a costume and beats up <laughs> beats up portal. I that's those are all like super valid questions and if we sort of dig past the surface i think there's a lot there i I think he is worth he's a worthwhile character i think he especially one of the reasons i liked it so much much is because it sort of digs very worthwhile themes and and asks big questions 
I think that's, I think if Batman, if he's going to continue another 80 years, which I'm pretty sure he will, I think if they, he really needs to, uh, the, the custodians of him as a character really need to really go farther than just sort of the surface, the, the coolness of it all. Right. And I think um, digging into those themes is, at least for me, uh, an element that I look for if I'm looking at what makes a, a good Batman story, whether it's comics, animated, live action, what are the elements that you identify as being like, okay, that's central, that's that's integral to making a good Batman story? I know everyone sort of talks about that they're, you know, like tired of seeing the origin. I I sort of disagree. There is no character possible exception to Peter Parker, Superman, that is more defined by the origin than Batman. It's mm-hmm. absolutely fundamental to who he is. And things that I don't think has been properly properly explored. It has been to degree in some of the some of the comics and some of the movies, movies, but the you know the impact of real trauma and PTSD and the marks that this left in Bruce Wayne as a child, as a child that never were addressed properly, and then he sort of solves he way of dealing with it is this vigilanteism. Um, I think what makes a great Batman story is figuring out the core of Batman, figuring out the core of maybe not figuring out, but maybe trying to get there, trying there, trying to exploring that Bruce Wayne and how he fits into this world, which is both at the same time absurd, absurd and then also extremely realistic because mm-hmm. well, I think one of the reasons that the Batman and Joker are so intimately linked and why they're so popular in culture is because they, they represent this Batman ostensibly represents utterly defined by who he is, his order. He represents structure sort of and then the joker doesn't and the joker's case he has no origin if he told you what it was he was lying and those things i think there's something about us as, about us as sort of prime relationated we love the of uh the mythic aspect of batman as much as we love the the anarchy of the joker wow yeah that's that's really well stated i'm i'm taking a moment to reflect on that and i'm i'm also struck by how you mentioned the the absurd and the realistic and when i think too about what draws me to to a Batman story, you really, to your point earlier too, the adaptability, like you can really go camp with this character or you can yeah. go yeah. dark, you can go really dark. And I'm attracted to both of those poles mm-hmm. in different ways. And uh, in a couple of the stories that I'm going to kind of choose to highlight in a few minutes, I think, I think you'll see <laughs> how I, how I appreciate yeah. both of those different aspects. And you've also mentioned already, like the, the characters who are part of the world, especially the villains and his relationship to the villains is so, so central to, to the Batman story. But when it comes to depictions of this character on screen and portraying this character, particularly on screen and not through writing, what makes a successful portrayal? That's a great question because I, I I think there's not real wrong answer, but um, I think we've had had so many Batman and we've had so many different Bruce Waynes mm-hmm. that I I think it's I think what makes this what makes this successful ones I think Pattinson is an outstanding Batman. I don't think he's really playing Bruce Wayne. I don't think if we actually meet Bruce Wayne in this movie, I agree. Yeah, um, we we meet Batman and and he's. He's a very typical Batman in the sense he's very stoic and aloof and aloof, walled off. And then he meets and he meets Selena and he's thought out a little bit. But for my money, I, I, I think of Clint Bale still. I think he sort of had the most sort of holistic person. He approached Bruce Wayne as the mask, which I think is true. And I think that's Robert Pattinson's and this movie's approach to 
which is because that's we haven't met him yet, Bruce Wayne, I don't think, is because he hasn't really crafted that sort of, he hasn't crafted a Bruce Wayne to sort of approach the world with yet. And that I think Christian Bale gave the sort of the, gave the sort of the sort of performance, which he gave, if gave a fully realized bat, the scary, he's got the voice, sort of yes. ridiculous. <laughs> and then he's got Bruce Wayne, who is a completely different person outwardly to the world than he is actually that you meet when you see him with see him with Rachel or whatever. Right. And I think that was the most sort of comprehensive performance. Yeah, I like the way that you articulated that. And it's funny too, when I was thinking about what we would discuss tonight and thinking about this question of what makes a successful portrayal as well as like what is my favorite, you know, on-screen live action depiction of the character? It it was it's tough. It's tough to nail it down. And and what I actually have written in my notes is is it's funny. It it says Batman Bruce Wayne balance question mark. (laughs) I kind of didn't didn't expand on that in my in my thoughts, but I think it it relates to what you're saying, which is what is that balance between those two identities and how we've seen that play out in different ways for you know in in different iterations of of the story. Absolutely. I'm increasingly in my own writing and just as a reader who's who's consuming this uh, stuff in both the MCU and DC and and really all kind of the superhero job. increasingly fascinated by the idea of masks and not just mm-hmm. sort of the traditional, you know, your man puts on the mask. It just sort of the, the idea of who is uh, Peter Parker, who is Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne. I don't think I think Bruce Wayne is the mask. I think he's a construct mostly. Peter, to some degree, this varies, varies throughout the comics. You, we've gotten a very natural, very, this is, Peter is who Peter is. Right. There's no question about that. But then we start, we're starting to see Peter develop sort of a, there's a distance between himself and the world and the world that that's of his experience, which I think is inevitable in the trajectory of most, of most of yours, which is just super fascinating thing to me. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the things that draws me to these stories is the idea of, of masks and, um, and costumes even, and these identities that you put on and the ways in which these characters are, are reckoning with the identities they they have chosen and the identities that they're yeah. cultivating. There's there's really a lot to dig into. Um, so before we talk a little bit more about the most recent film, Matt Reeves, The Batman, I wanted to spend a few moments talking about some of our some of our other favorites. We've touched on a couple already, but there are a couple of other favorites in terms of Batman uh, stories and portrayals that I wanted to highlight. Before we transition into this next segment, we will issue a general spoiler warning, not just for Matt Reeves, the Batman, but pretty much any and all Batman mm-hmm. stories, including comics, because we're going to spend a few minutes discussing yeah. uh, some of some of our favorites. So I am curious to hear if you had to pinpoint one favorite Batman story that hits all of those elements you mentioned and what you're looking for in a Batman story, whether it's comic, animated, live action, what would it be? Well, they're they're kind of my favorite Batman movie and my favorite story are one in the same, and that's the Mask of the Phantasm. Ah, so which good. I, which I, I to this day remains the best Batman story, and there there's I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One is just that's a little bit of what we were talking about in terms of like the 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 duel, the conflict between Batman and Bruce Wayne, and who he is, and who he is, and who. It has a great original original villain in the Phantom, yeah. which shockingly has only in the last year, year and a half, been properly brought over into the comics. It's absolutely mystifying. Um, but 
but um because at the time iconic character and it deals with a lot of the same themes that a lot a lot of the including the batman that they do sort of the 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 weird intersection of power uh and money and the mob and the elites in gotham which a lot of stories do and one of my i my I, there's a lot of batman comic book stories one i'll mention real quick for that i always think about think about that it gets enough uh attention is um a storyline called gothic was written by grant morrison one of his mm-hmm. stories uh from 1990 yeah 1990 drawn by cloud by Klaus that i feel like was pro- was probably in the back of the mind of matt reeves as he's making the batman deals with sort of similar a lot of intersections again basically someone's hunting down the elites of gotham and they turn to the batman include some of the the some of the sort of and things like that and it's a really good story, really great moment where at the end of the first issue where Batman says, like, I'm the king of hell. It's very like I am vengeance. It's very mm-hmm. this sort of demonic, uh, horrific sort of thing that he embody embodies early in his career. And and I, I, I think probably was a touchstone for Matt Reeves as they were thinking about that. This very cool. I really 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 like mask of the phantasm and it's it's one that i you know in preparation for this episode i haven't had the opportunity to rewatch everything that i would have wanted to rewatch in the realm of batman but it's one that i would say probably the most recent time i rewatched it was maybe about a year ago but i'm definitely due for another rewatch on it because it's just it's just so good and i i've talked on the podcast before about how i'm not always an animated story person but man that is an example of an animated story that is just so compelling and really gets at those themes and those elements of this character in in such a gripping way it it's gorgeous it's super gothic it's super yeah it it is it, it, very film noir kind of kind of vibe but then it has a story fantastic score by shirley walker who doesn't get nearly enough credit batman in live action and animation generally has never had a bad score, red mm-hmm. score, really. And the Shirley Walker score for Mask, for Mask of the Phantasm is all-time best. You know, in thinking about favorite Batman story and a favorite Batman movie, I totally did the podcast host cheating thing where I <laughs> didn't identify a number one favorite for either. But I did think to myself, okay, there are two here, a story and then a movie that I uh, didn't necessarily think that you would choose. So I was like, okay, we'll take a moment to highlight because these are ones that I enjoy very much. And am I going to say it is my number one favorite? No, as I said, I don't feel like I'm even at a place with with Batman as much as I I know this content. I, I don't even feel like I'm at a place where I can claim a number one favorite. But I want to highlight, in terms of a Batman story, I want to highlight the comic run the, the the graphic novel format is how i read it uh batman year one which i just read oh, yeah. after i saw matt reeves the batman before i talk about what resonated with me in that story is is this one that um has had an impact on you oh yeah i was um so i was man 66 when i was four or five i was reading batman year one or one and it returns at the same time i was 12, 12 or 13 I was, I was on the rack too and they had, uh, along with Watchmen, which maybe we'll talk about as we talk about the movie, because I think mm. there's a lot of weird overlap there. Uh, this had a profound effect on me as a, as a comic book fan and writer. And year one, I think rightly, is sort of up up there, pantheon of comic books. 
Yeah, it really it really blew me away the the portrait that it paints of Gotham, all of the corruption in the major institutions, the seedy underworld, the the references to Arkham Asylum, and and this is you know reading this after I have I've engaged with so much Batman content over the years, mm-hmm. and I was intrigued by at least the edition that I have. Uh, there's an introduction. And I'm going to just share a little bit from the introduction. So I thought this was really fascinating yeah. for some historical context. It says in 1986, the editorial board of DC Comics decided that their heroes, some of whom were nearly half a century old, had become dated. A massive revamping was clearly in order. And the place to begin was with the company's three most popular enduring characters Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman. Batman was a problem. He was fine just as he was. The origin that Bob Kane and Bill Finger had created in 1939 was a perfect explanation of how and why Batman came to be and why he continued his obsessive crusade. And perhaps more important, it mirrored the fears, frustrations, and hopes of a readership coping with the realities of 20th century urban life. So DC's editors decided Batman's origin should not be changed, but it might be improved. It could be given depth, complexity, a wider context. Details could be added to give it focus and credibility. Bruce Wayne's struggles to become the thing he was trying to create, the Batman, could be dramatized. And finally, all the storytelling techniques that comic book creators had developed in those 50 years could be applied to realize the potential of the basic material. And so year one was written by Frank Miller and David Mazzuccelli. Mm -hmm. I thought that historical context was so interesting in this decision to say, you know, it's 1986, and uh, which feels like a while ago from now in 2022, but thinking back yeah, to 1939, yeah. right? This desire to not redo his origin, right? His his origin was seen as enduring, right? Even then, but to to um, deepen it a little bit. And I just loved reading this and seeing Bruce, you know, um, 18 years after the the trauma, the loss of his parents becoming the Batman and his story told in parallel to Lieutenant Gordon, who was learning how, how to be a cop mm-hmm. in, in Gotham city and Bruce kind of, uh, talking to his father, uh, as Gordon is bringing a child into life and these parallel stories. And you see Selena Kyle becoming Catwoman. man, it was just, just a really, really great Batman story that I could say I could say more about, but I also don't necessarily want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't read this. Not that, you know, everybody knows the Batman story, but there's um yeah, it, it was just really, really, really cool. It's year one is like like the quintessential Batman story, I think. I people always ask, like, where do you start with Batman? Like in the comics, like because he's 80 years old. It's like, yeah. like where do you easily begin? That's probably the best place to begin. I think it still holds up. There's things about it that haven't aged very well for me yes, personally. Yes, that's true. Um, that that there's so many images, iconic images in there that you've seen since in the movies and even the anime, even the animators that are that just become part of the the fabric of Batman. And you can't undersell the impact that Year One has had, certainly on the films, and I think also on this movie as well. I think there's quite a mm-hmm. bit of overlap there. And it's just sort of part of the DNA, the DNA. And I think it's it's a great work of art, just as a work of comic book. At, at, in the midst of fantastic, you have Frank Mill height of his powers. You have David Mazzucchelli. Uh, Klaus Jansen, again, is doing inks on that. You have Lynn Varley doing some of the most extraordinary color work that you've seen in comics. Um, in that in that throughout that run, extraordinary intersection of incredible creative talent that create, creating this perfect 
almost perfect encapsulation of this, you know, icon. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you so much for bringing, um, bringing in your lens and your understanding of this. Cause for me, I'm like, Oh, this is just, this is a Batman comic that has been recommended to me <laughs> and something that I literally sure. just read and you, and you have more of this background to it. And you're absolutely right. There are a couple of elements in it that I was reading and I was like, oof, man, it was the eighties. That didn't age well at it all. The <laughs> yeah. There's some, some yeah. bizarre yeah. racial things and, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so all of that aside, um, those are the things, fortunately, that that haven't made their way into the more the more recent retellings, thankfully. So, thinking about movies, I probably The Dark Knight is still my number one favorite Batman movie. That's mm-hmm. probably true. Uh, and and the Batman is a wonderful Batman movie. And, and the the more that I will have time to rewatch it, the more that might grow in my estimation. But there's a Batman movie that I I just can't I can't resist and I I hope it's possible that you hate this movie <laughs> but I cannot resist talking about it and it's not Batman Forever either but it's 2017's the Lego Batman movie. <laughs> okay. And I just wanted while I had the platform of being on a podcast talking about Batman I just wanted to talk about how much I liked this movie because of the way that I thought it was such a sweet winking homage to the history and the legacy of the character and leaned into the campiness of the character and the emotional side of the character in this story that is so family friendly to the point where it's like, okay, some of the cooler aspects of Batman are not the family friendly parts. And I understand that, but I just, there was something so this movie like made me cry. And when it first came out in the theaters, I went to go see it multiple times. And I was just like, why? Like, I didn't like the Lego movie. Like, why am I so into this Lego Batman movie? And I realized, well, it's because it's about Batman. And there was something it was saying about Batman and paying uh, like honor to the character that I really enjoyed and his relationship to the Joker, which is you know, in all of the subtle ways that in more of the sophisticated adult live action tellings of the Batman story, we see how his villains are foils for him and the relationship between him and his villains as being so interesting. I love how this movie just made it really over the top and literal to the point where Batman is hurting the Joker's feelings by telling him that, oh, you don't matter to me that much. And it's about Batman, you know, overcoming his greatest fear, which is to love and to have a family again. And I, it, there's just something about it that's so charming to me. I love it. It it is very moving in a in a unexpected way. I, the 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 scene I always remember is where he he he, 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 he he's microwaving something in the microwave <laughs> microwave, and it's yeah. just the light swirling, and he's just so alone. Yeah, and like like this is the Batman. It's like the richest most eligible bachelor on the on the planet and he's at home microwaving i waving i have no idea what or alone and miserable and you feel bad for him you want him to you know you want you want to pick up the phone or call somebody or do or do something it's like it's uh i really enjoyed it i love the joker aspect too it just it, it reminded our it gave off sort of vibes of the approach of the batman and joker in and joker interns mm-hmm. uh also from so from 1986 there's sort of this um the idea that that the relation is beyond just pure just sort of antagonism and good and evil and it, there's this weird sort of uh symbiosis in the relation and the relationship that's equable and also just perfect and at the same time 
It's a lobster thermidor <laughs> that he's heating up, <laughs> which is so absurd. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's such a funny, such a weird movie. But you're right; it absolutely also has that emotional beat to it, and and there's something to it where he's he's uh, realizing that he's a hero. There, it's even I just love all of the nods to the history of the character and the history of the costumes. Yeah. And, and to your point, there's one point where Alfred even says to him, "Like you're on an island." Literally and figuratively, <laughs> and it's it's so over the top, but um, but yeah, it's it's a lovely movie, and it's it's I'm not citing it as my favorite, but I also just wanted to have an opportunity to mention how much I like it. So you already mentioned Bale as being the go-to as the uh, if we're trying to identify who really did that balance of Batman and Bruce Wayne best. Are you are you the type of person who distinguishes like when you've watched over the years the different portrayals of Batman? Have you distinguished like oh this this actor is doing a great job at the Batman but not at the Bruce Wayne or vice versa? Yeah, he's like like sort of in this conference now for I guess thirty years about the with with the ends and everything about the different Batman and I, it goes back to Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. This sort of, I think, in general, general, uh, this sort of this, at least in my sort of, among my friends and people I talk, I talk to, um, Michael Keaton is, is, for them in some way, the best Batman, not a great Bruce Wayne, and it like goes down from, from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's sort of interesting. It's like I think Michael Keaton is Michael Keaton is Michael Keaton icon. I actually really, really liked Val. I thought he was a really mm-hmm. good Batman. Less of a Bruce Wayne. Wayne. I, George Clooney was a good Bruce Wayne. Less of a Batman. Mm-hmm. Christian Bale, total package. Me, I thought he had it all there. Robert, standing Batman. Um, I'm forgetting someone. Ben Affleck. I really yeah. like Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. I'm a huge fan of those movies, but but I thought he did a great job in general. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's 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 a weird thing because I think because they're two completely different characters. Bruce right. Wayne and Batman, yeah. they're completely different. And and so and so depending on how the actor in question approaches them, you get wildly differently different responses, I think. Yeah, I think that was a great, a great summary. And uh I don't have any vastly divergent opinions than than what you already expressed, which is that like, mm-hmm. you know, I've I've enjoyed aspects of all of these different um portrayals. And I'm I'm with you that for me it's like, you know, I was a kid and I Val Kilmer was my guy <laughs> because I watched that movie so many times. Um, and then, you know, in, in 2008, when Batman Begins comes out, I'm a, I'm a young adult and now I'm engaging in it in a different way. And that's around the time I also went back and watched the Keaton, the Keaton uh, films, which I hadn't seen prior to that. And uh, so for me, I very much like, okay, Bale is my like, my initiation really uh, because of my being a young adult when I saw those films. And I I think he's wonderful and I really enjoy what Pattinson is doing too. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment Um, before we get there. You know, the big question I think that always comes up when talking about Batman and outside of the character himself is the villains. And I'm just curious, you know, I, there are so many villains in comics, live action animated. Uh, Do you have a favorite villain who, resonates with you or or you you always enjoy the story no matter what the portrayal is or on the flip side of that is there a particular portrayal of a villain that resonates with you most 
I do. I, and that my favorite Batman villain slash character after ever is Quinn. And yeah. I, I could go on and about Harley for like, like solid day. So I don't want to do that to you <laughs> or your audience, but I'll, I'll try and be concise, but Harley is my absolute, absolute favorite love with her from the beginning when she, when she first showed up in the series. And I just been, as I think a lot of us have, I, I just been, been struck by how much, she has grown and changed and and as a character and and become this icon herself self who is more independent from batman and i think the biggest thing about harley that's so so attractive is the fact that she is a change agent batman and the joker both are these iconoclasts who are cast in stone they're never going to change you can do variations on them and you know you could do different takes all which we all love and we go and we go we go see every every few years years when there's a new one but he has been from the I think it was 91, 92 when she, when she first appeared in the animated series. From that moment, she's been evolving into something else and something different. And she doesn't really linger in any one space for very long. Mm. Long. She's a king ball in terms of the Batman mythology. She took Poison Ivy, Ivy, who was a stock character and sort of not a not a particularly interesting villain and made her made Pamela one of the most interesting characters in comics by virtue of their relationship. Ivy has grown so so much the course of this last twenty years, and Harley has. And the Joker, I think, has been recontextualized through Harley in, yeah. in ways that no one ever could have expected. And I love Harley to death. I love everything. I love just about every version of this HBO Max series, which has been on the. I think is just I love it to death. I love Margot Robbie and um, some of the comic versions of of her. I you know I can believe, but in general, I I think she's extraordinary and. I was kind of in a slight hoping we would see her in the Batman. I thought maybe she might be walking through Arkham Asylum. That would have been cool. Didn't didn't happen, but maybe we got we got we'll probably get a couple movies here to go. So yeah, I have uh, I'm less familiar with this character in comics, and I have some memories of of the animated series from you know when I was a kid watching that, and I haven't watched the newer the newer series uh, that that centers her more, but I was a, I really enjoyed the movie birds of prey and, uh, and I really enjoyed the suicide squad that came out last year. And, um, some of that's due to Margot Robbie's performance, but it's a, she's a character who I'm, I'm really intrigued by. What about you? What favorite villain? Yeah, it's tough to say. I feel like, I feel like I was like so intrigued by scarecrow and maybe that means I need to read some more comics because we don't see too much of Scarecrow in, uh, we, we see him in the Nolan trilogy, but not that much of him, but there's just something about him that's so intriguing to me. Um, it's hard for me sometimes to separate the actor's performance though, because Cillian Murphy is obviously just an incredibly compelling performer. You know, in, in terms of live action, Ledger's Joker is is legendary. Yeah. There's almost, you know, what can be said that hasn't already been, been said about him. It was cool for me to see this most recent iteration of the Riddler because that's a character who stood out for me so much in childhood because of Batman Forever and what yeah. was what was appealing to me about that villain as a kid was yeah some of that campiness but also that idea of of the riddles right and the games and it was very um I mean we'll we'll talk about it but in in the 2022 the Batman obviously very very different different uh take on the character but some of that consistency in what that would mean for batman to engage with a character who is leaving clues and riddles is uh 
is intriguing to me. So I, I don't really have a great answer to that question. And I, it's one that I want to uh, explore more as I revisit some of the Batman content and get into some of the content that I, that I haven't been exposed to. Sure. So on that note, let's talk a little bit more about this most recent film. 2022, Matt Reeves, the Batman, hotly anticipated. I was very much looking forward to it. I was excited to see Robert Pattinson uh, as Batman. To what extent do you think this depiction of the character was successful? I think it was very full. I was really impressed by the movie over, overall. Sort of, I think because I was in general funk about the those these last few sort of DCEU movies with right. Batman. Uh, ben Affleck aside, who I really really like, um, I I, um, I I just. I just sort of, I guess I was, I wasn't in the mood, maybe in the movie. So I sort of had low expectations, which was probably not smart, smart on my, cause I'm a huge fan of Matt Reeves and pretty much everything he does. And so I was really struck by the movie and the take on the character, the take on the simultaneously somehow more realistic mm-hmm. uh, than the Nolan, than the Nolan. And then at the same time, sort of, there's this, there's this great sort of, sort of Gothic sort of throwback to the uh, Burton films, mm-hmm. which I really appreciated. It's in this weird sort of liminal space that I, that I expect, and I thought and I thought all the performance, fantastic Robert Pattinson was just absolutely fantastic. The, the brutality, the anger, the anguish yes. of, of Batman was extraordinary. Uh, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, I think, is maybe the best Catwoman we've ever had on screen. Fantastic. Um, she's just just amazing. She's electric. She she's you her and Batman are great together and Paul Dano, I agree million, million percent with, he is just absolutely outstanding. He's unhinged as the Riddler. Very, this is the most out there, out there version of Riddler we're going to see, uh, you know, in, in, uh, any medium that we've, that we've had. So, so I thought it was really interesting and I love just the vibe. I know I'm rambling, but I love this, the vibe, the whole, uh, it's basic. The movie is basically seven. Yeah. Um, that, <laughs> That yep. Batman just happens happens to be in, and I that was really unexpected unexpected for me. And I, it was uh, this the the they have an aspect of it the sort of the the Zodiac killer sort of vibe, uh, noirish vibe. Yeah, it was very unexpected. I didn't I didn't see that any of that coming. Yeah, and I, I maybe that's one of the things that we didn't touch on earlier when we were talking about the character. Like there is that world's greatest detective moniker that is that is given to Batman sometimes, and I really yeah. like that aspect of the character as well. So I loved that. I loved that we were solving riddles. I loved that we were trying to solve a mystery. I loved that it was a serial killer story, and I love the portrayal of Bruce. Like you said, like this darkness to him this anguish and the weirdness like <laughs> as i mentioned this is not uh, i was talking with with trey of mc you need to know over over text about this like it's not a funny film on the surface in fact it's a very dark right, right. and realistic film but there's also moments of humor when like how do you not get a chuckle out of the fact that he's in his full batman suit and he's on a crime scene <laughs> and and they're even mentioning like something there's some quip about how he's how he's wearing gloves. Um, it's it's yeah. uh, there's that element of like you know you don't forget that this is this is a man who's decided to don a a bat suit and fight crime, uh, even with as realistic as it is. And 
Robert Pattinson's portrayal, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about how you said really astutely, like, we don't even really see Bruce Wayne in this film. Like, we don't get to know Bruce Wayne in this film. And I think I think that's because this is a time period in this character's life where he he he's not even letting himself be Bruce Wayne. Like, he's so immersed in what it means to be Batman that even when he is putting on when he's putting on his Bruce Wayne, his Bruce Wayne mask to to interact with people of the world, right? There's that scene with Alfred where he clearly doesn't want to, uh, you know, meet with the members of the board of the company or whatever it was. And then he goes to the funeral and it's like, it's like he doesn't want to be there. It's like every minute that he has to be wearing the Bruce Wayne costume is a minute that he wishes that he could be his true Batman self. It's really interesting. Yeah, I think it's extremely painful for him because he's Bruce Wayne. He's this public figure who um, is utterly defined by this horrible tragedy that befell him. In the real world, Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne would every interview, every appearance Bruce Wayne would would ever make would be would involve that quest question about yeah. uh, his parents, and he was there, he saw it, and he it, it's just by sheer luck that he wasn't wasn't the third, but he was a victim. He was he was traumatized beyond. He doesn't even know, and he's tra- transferred all of that into Avatar of just as he says repeatedly, "I am vengeance. I am." Yeah. He's mythic sort of figure that comes out of the shadows. And there's this great, I mentioned in the podcast that Sugu and I do, and I do, there's the great sort of Darth Vader silhouette mm-hmm. that I really like. And when, he, and when he first out of the shadows, it's like Vader sort of emerging uh, in Star Wars. And, and I really like that because he's literally, like Vader has uh, Batman He's he's literally and figuratively given himself over to the to the suit and and the the persona persona of Batman movie in a way that you not really seen in the other movies and I thought yeah. that that was really interesting and he makes these sparks of connection with the son of the mayor who's been killed and every time he sees him you know him you know when he's looking at he's looking at himself um, when he was five or six however however old he's and that it's a sort of a touchstone that I thought was really moving. And especially at the end, uh, because uh, he reconnects with him at the, in the in the uh, arena yeah. uh, as when he when he leads. I thought it was very touching. Yeah, I agree completely. And thinking about, you know, we talked earlier about what makes a good Batman story, and and I I, I think this is one because I you know you you spoke a little bit about not necessarily being tired of the origin story because the origin is so much of mm-hmm. of what makes uh, Batman who he is. And I I really appreciated how this film acknowledges that origin without necessarily rehashing it, um, that we yeah. see that little boy as the stand-in for Bruce. And from the very opening of the movie, you're wondering, oh, here's here's this little kid whose parents are coming home. And like, is this is this Bruce? Um, and it's not. But you like you said, it's this touchstone throughout the film that it's obvious that he, he sees himself in this kid. And um, I thought that was a really cool way of of acknowledging that aspect of his story. Yeah. And I think that's the right word too. acknowledging. I, I think they didn't in this, in the same way CU has avoided completely sort of re, sort of revisiting Peter's classic, uh, origin. Uh, they sort of transferred it basically to me to May, right. but, um, they didn't revisit it as the other Spidey films have. And this one, I think took a page from page from that. I think they just, know oh, everybody knows it, but at the same time, they want to acknowledge it because it's, it is important to who he is. You don't have Batman without this event in his life. And certainly you don't have the story, which is built entirely on the pain, the childhood pain and trauma of both Batman and the Riddler, which is in for both, 
for both and is cosmic. Um, um, and so that happens in the movies is a product of the, the, their, the trauma of their childhoods. Absolutely. What did you think about the way in which the film, like the way in which the Waynes, Martha Arkham Wayne, which was, which was cool. And, and, um, Thomas Wayne, the way in which they function in the film, what did you think of how, how the film dealt with that? I liked it. It, Even though it was three hours long, I actually could have done with more of a the sort of reality that his parents were, they're both wealthy people, wealthy people that had political aspirations and, and they're probably, as Alfred suggests in this, the movies, movies sort of suggest these, these weren't perfect people. They were, um, they were as all public as everyone, no one's perfect, but I mean, in their public figures, their political figures, they, you know, they, they bend and they, and they, they um, do the whole sort of, as there's sort of a, you know, Bruce, Bruce Wayne's sort of shock, the moral shock in the movie is discovering that his parents were not the people he thought. And then Alfred sort of qualifies says, no, it was just a misunderstanding. It was still, was it though, though, right. you know, was it, did Thomas Wayne really sort of lead that conversation thinking that there was, he and uh, Falcone were not on the same wavelength. It's like, you know, that's sort of left up to the audience, but I, I like the idea that the idea that his folks weren't perfect and he sort of deified them. Them. I think the movie could a little bit farther with that. I think the movie could have made more that there are these he he in his Bruce's mind that they they were these saints, these perfect figures that he's he's avenging them. He's def, you know, and that would have been a an a I think a, a decline for him to find out that oh no that they they were actually early or at least other they were very little separated them from the other men in the story the other elite sort of figures like Falcone and uh penguin etc yeah yeah i i like you i was intrigued by this storyline and i agree that it didn't they didn't take it as far as they necessarily could have taken it but it i appreciate the nuance right i appreciate the complexity mm-hmm. that i think there have been other batman stories where we as the audience and and our bruce you know perhaps forever sees his parents as these martyrs right these these saints as you mentioned uh, and I like that this one went, you know, in all respects, uh, the way that this movie went more realistic in that, you know, um, our parents, our, our heroes are not necessarily perfect. <laughs> um, they're real, they're flawed, and there's complexity to it. And to go through that realization is part of the the process of growing up as well. And so I I enjoyed seeing that aspect of it. Yeah, I also like how it kind of tied into the the lore of Gotham, which is one of the other things that makes a, a Batman story so appealing is this this world, this city and everything that that goes along with it. It's incredibly well realized Gotham at 80 years now. It's been it you know, obviously it's been added to and developed and and explored and it just it just keeps developing sort of little universe onto itself and even where tier characters are so well defined and it's and they're sort of sort of layers of them from the elites on down to the street are um very well defined at this point and it's it's fascinating fascinating to feels very realistic if there's 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 some heightened aspects to it but it feels very natural feels very realistic as you know like the real world uh, one thing about martha wayne that i kind of thought of as i was watching the movie was I would have liked to see more is more there's sort of hinted at her Martha had um, maybe mental health issues yeah. or at least that was sort of the smear against her. And I would have liked to seen some, some sort of acknowledgement on Bruce's part that maybe 
he suffers in the same way that his mother potentially did, potentially did because he's a, he's a victim and a product of, product of trauma and PTSD. I think his behavior relative to the Batman maybe goes, goes beyond that. And is there any part of that, that he's an avenue you could explore maybe in the future is, is there any aspect to him, aspect to him and his person that maybe needs to be addressed properly in a healthy way, yeah. you know, you know uh, cause he's not, he's not a healthy per- person at home. And, you know, that's one of the things we were talking about, the Lego Batman, which is so sad about it. Right, he's, yeah. he's, a re- he's a really good guy who's, who's not having a good time. So I so. think that's such an excellent point. And I think, you know, you mentioned earlier the adaptability of this character and bringing him into different eras. And what better direction to go in than I think, you know, we are, we're, fortunately, we, we are in a, a cultural moment where it's become more, uh, you know, safe for, for people to express struggles that they might have with mental health. And, uh, you know, obviously it's, there's still a long way to go in terms of, of acceptance of all different types of things, but, but to, to see, you know, a character so prominently in, in, in pop culture dealing with, with mental health issues and naming them as such, um, could be really, really powerful. Yeah. I think you're onto something interesting there. Here's a question I have for you. So you mentioned that there's something so realistic about this Batman movie, even even as it asks us to to suspend our our disbelief. But let's be honest, like this is not a it feels much more like a noir crime thriller than it does a superhero mm-hmm. movie. There mm-hmm. are no really fantastical superhero elements in, in the ways that we've seen in recent MCU films, for example. But one of the things that really struck me as feeling very realistic in almost an uncomfortable way is this iteration of the Riddler, which I thought was fantastic. I thought Paul Dano was a fantastic, but the fact that he is, um, he he's radicalizing people on the internet through his rhetoric. Uh, and we see a third act of this ostensibly superhero film in which we see, um, an attempt at a, at a mass shooting. It, It felt very, um, it felt very real, and uh, yeah, I was just curious about your your take on that. It feels very realistic, and I, I this was the subject of a lot of conversation after seeing the movie because the 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 climax of the movie. I feel like the the movie sort of the movie sort of if the first time I watched it, it sort of ended but ended twice. It's this yes. sort of natural ending with the capture of the Riddler, and and then and then it's like need to do the um, the big sort of set piece at the end. It feels a little bit better on the second watch, but. Um, you're prepared for it, but right. I think actually the one misstep in the movie is is it happens uh, in this transition from the Riddler then people that he inspires. Yes, I think the, there's this interesting message, very compelling message with the Riddler, who is speaking truth to power in a very illegal way by killing right. these people, killing these people, but bringing out the crime, the sins and the crimes and the moral lapses of of Gotham. Uh, writ large and he is making you know why why are these people these people are in thomas wayne included these people are always saying the right things they're not doing the right things and he has it all has it all planned he's the riddler he's a genius genius he's the ultimate schemer and plotter where i feel like for me the movie sort of sort of missteps is that he would not have accounted they want it they want his message is i think undermined undermined by these sort of internet extremists, these these sort of errors, I, I felt like, frankly, for for white supremacy, who merge in the end of the movie and then are then shooting at the black woman who is elected mayor. Mm-hmm. I I felt like for the Riddler, 
what would have what would have for me and i'm sure people dis- people disagree but what made me is that he plans the perfect sort of his perfect tra- trap for ben he gets bruce wayne into the cage with him and he says i had it all figured out i got you here you see it's perfect but what he didn't anticipate was pay- was that people would be would take up his banner would be inspired these people would sort of sort of then let loose because the Riddler yeah. Riddler goes from wanting to tear down the Upton immoral system to then tearing down the system completely, including the people who are trying to reform it, like the mayor, right? Um, the new mayor. And I, I, I felt like that didn't work for me. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I appreciate the way you articulated that because that's an aspect of the film that I think I'm still kind of working through. And, and I haven't seen this movie as many times as I would have liked to see this movie because I recently, yeah. uh, as I mentioned to you, the reason why we had to delay delay our podcast recording a couple times i've been sick and there's all these things been going on but yeah that's something that i feel like i'm still i'm still struggling through because i i have no issue with with the realism at all but i do yeah i'm working through my relationship to the way in which the film is commenting and and wondering what the film is is completely saying about that aspect of the um yeah radicalized online extreme view i'm gonna go and do the type of action that we see the people in the end of this film doing yeah and it feels like really for me it feels like and i have no no problem at all like sort of taking different approaches to these characters they're they're icons and we know them very well but mm-hmm. we can you know i'm okay with different interpret them the sort of the inspiring the sort of and then tearing everything tearing everything down the system and destroying gotham that that doesn't feel like the Ridley. That sort of feels like the Joker. Interesting. And yeah. um, I I I'm all about the Joker. So I mean, I if that had been sort of his sort of approach in the story, I I would that would that would have been understand. Riddler felt off, but then I I think it's not necessarily that it, that it happened. Like you said, the realism I think is completely. I I buy that. I it's it feels very, you know, realistic. But I think the. I think the narrative justification for it, at least for it, at least for the sort of falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I'm, I'm definitely going to be thinking about too, as I, as I get to see the film again, hopefully going tomorrow night again to see it. Uh, that being said, right. We did talk a little bit about Paul Dano as a performer and how well he, um, yeah. he really sells the Riddler and, and man, there's just so many moments in the film where he's just owning it, the confrontation that he has with Batman. And I mentioned this a little bit on the the first impressions episode that I did, but the way that he breaks down when he realized that Batman was not in fact working with him, <laughs> that Batman is not yeah, in fact an ally. Yeah. Wow. That was powerful. That was great. Yeah. And, and ultimately for me, I mean, the, the thing that I loved most about this movie and I, and I did love this movie was the decision that Bruce makes to lead the people of Gotham, right? Uh, that beautiful scene where he's carrying that torch, yeah, yeah. that decision to move from identifying as as vengeance to uh, instead moving towards something closer to hope, um, from punishing people to helping the people. I was moved by that. I think one of the things I was so so prepared for in the movie is I I've been thinking a lot a lot about as I'm sure we all have. Uh, to some degree, the last couple of years about, you know, just the state of the state of the world is being this sort of this anger and this yeah. sort of uh, vitriol that being the culture and this sort of instinct to sort of escalate and to sort of demonize and disparage and, and all the things that we've had that transpired 
in the last few years and, yep. and Batman and Batman, he's a hero. We admire him. We, some of some of us, it's the versions of us anyway, aspire to be like him. But at the, but at the end of the day, he's a guy who, um, uh, there's very little difference between, between him and uh, the Joker or the Riddler, yep. or the, you know, sort of, uh, sort of real life, sort of average avatar, sort of vigilanteism or people that, that, uh, appoint themselves as uh, the keepers of the peace, quote unquote, quote, the peace. And I thought I did not expect the end of the movie to give us a a, a version of Batman that could conceivably walk or walk away mm. from the role. Like he obviously the movie leaves him driving, driving back to him and he's recommitting and he's leaving Selena and he's going to, you know, he's going to recommit to this, his duty to protect Gotham. But in that moment where he has this, wonderful realization realization that this is not who i have who i have to be maybe maybe the way that i should be is to be human and and sort of sort of sort of not physically literally taking the mask off but i think the mask comes off there and i think yeah. he sort of when he looked when he looks up and he a great shot he looks the uh, helicopter is taking one of the survive survivors looking up and the the Blades helicopter, the wind from the helicopter is buffeting him, and he's just sort of rocking, and he's he is literally he's teetering from this yeah. realization arrived at, which he could never have conceived of, conceived of because he's been in, in it as a boy since the moment it happened. I really, really, really love. I thought that was extraordinary. Yeah, it makes me think about how much more meaning and, and power is in it when it is an active choice, right? When he's presented with an alternative and chooses and chooses this path instead. That was really, I thought that was a really, really great arc that we see for this character in, in the course of this film. Are there any other standout moments or performances or characters that we didn't touch on from this 2022 film that you want to mention? I have to mention Chin Collin as the penguin. Who, oh my gosh, so good. <laughs> it, was, I, it, it was just, again, completely unexpected. I knew going in that he was, you know, he he was doing the makeup and stuff, but he, he was just, just, if you didn't know that was Colin Farrell, you 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 would never have believed it. Um, the great, one of the few comedic bits in the movie is when he and uh, uh, Batman can capture penguin. Very funny. Um, the Batmobile, the sound of the Batmobile yes. when you first hear the engine so revving up was revving up was amazing. I completely agree. And man, what a what a year so far, twenty twenty two for Colin Farrell. I, did you see After Yang? I have not seen that yet. No, great film. It's available on Showtime right now. I think. Um, also, you know, an incredibly different role for Colin Farrell, but one of those things where it's like I watched the Batman, and then you know, a week or so later, I watched After Yang, and uh, just really struck by like, man, this guy is a great actor who can do so much. Yeah, I loved this take on on the Penguin. And uh, you already mentioned Zoe Kravitz, Catwoman, who, as as we said, was just so dynamic on screen. And man, I hope I hope we see more of her. They certainly left it at a place where, okay, maybe this is you know, if we see more of this world, maybe this is the her one her one entry in it. And I know they've there's precedent for that in the past, where it's like you get one movie in the series that has Catwoman, or you know, one movie in the series that has X character or Y character. But I'd love to see more of her. Man, she was so good. I'd, I'd I'd be shocked if they don't because I I know we're getting a penguin uh, right. series mm-hmm. on HBO Max and they sent her off to Bloodhaven to Bloodhaven which is a, a location in the comics which is traditionally associated with 
night uh dick grayson but okay that sort of tells me thinking about um a series or a movie or both i'd watch it all, all really so. absolutely yeah zoe yeah. kravitz is so good maybe i uh, just mention real quick that the little joker clip today did you get a chance, oh, chance to yes. see it yeah, thank you so much for sending that to me. So you know what? Sometimes the yeah. universe works in mysterious ways. We've had to postpone yeah. our recording a couple times, but it was great that today you you were um, the first person who sent it to me, and and uh, friend Daniel of of the podcast also sent it to me. That was so fun to to solve the riddles. Did you get all of them on your own, or did you have to look them up? I I might have cheated, um, <laughs> but, but I am glad I did because. I really liked it. That was a really nice treat. Treat is sort of, I think it was like five minutes or something, a yeah. big scene. And I, what did you think of it? What did you think of the the scene and sort of Barry Keown? So I'm a fan of Barry Keown. I really enjoyed him in Eternals mm-hmm. and in The Green Knight. I, I'll be honest, I think the clip that I saw today, and maybe it's just the recency of seeing it a few hours ago, but the clip that I saw today, I thought worked better than the clip that we got of him in the actual mm-hmm. film. Um, I really enjoyed seeing the interaction between Batman and, um, and this iteration of the Joker. And I, yeah, you know, I, there's always going to be folks who are not looking for a new, a new iteration on the Joker. And as, as we said, you know, Heath Ledger is iconic and the Joaquin Phoenix film is its own, its own kind of thing. Um, but I'm a fan of Barry Keown and I, I am intrigued to see what he can bring to this character. I am too. I'm. I'm. I'm actually glad they showed it. Now I'm really curious as to why they cut it out. Yeah. It's sort of. It, it, he. I, I like you. I don't really don't really know her, but I'm really intrigued by this one. He's. He's slightly different, and yet, and yet, just little glimpses of him physically and clean. He's very disturbing looking, and and Barry Keown is just an outstanding actor, Irish actor who I really like as well, and. I would have left this in the movie. I would have, yeah. I would have, I would have left that in there, and maybe the uh, the scene we did have, and um, um, hopefully get him in the next movie. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I liked the physicality, the performance, and the look as well. Darby, I want to thank you so much for this conversation about Batman. Yeah. And if you can yeah. spare just a couple more minutes, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you who you know obviously have have a wealth of of comic knowledge and are also an MCU fan. I, I need to ask you what you are thinking about this upcoming moon Knight series. And, and if you have familiarity with that character or what you're anticipating from the show. Uh, uh, Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. Um, Moon Knight. Um, Moon Knight is not one of my favorite Marvel characters. I am familiar with him, uh, partic- uh, particularly West Coast Avengers, mm-hmm. which, which I was part of that team in roughly the same period that we've been talking about, Batman Year One. Year one. So this would have been like 86. Um, but I'm intrigued by the show. Um, I I sort of would never have, would never have imagined Moon Knight of a, a series or a movie in the MCU. I just didn't think there was a lot, a lot there. You have Oscar Isaac, who you know wrong, and you have what appears to be a very sort of um, different take on the character than than what they've generally done in the comics. It's going to take some uh, appears to be different approaches, and so I'm I'm very optimistic about that. I'm very intrigued. By- Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the show and I, I don't really know what to expect. So <laughs> thanks for, yeah. for sharing that insight. 
And before we wrap up here tonight, where can folks find you on the internet if they'd like to hear more about you and your work? Yeah, um, thank you. You you can go to my website, uh, darbyharn.com, and you can find all my books and uh, information and links links and things like that. I do. Uh, my newest book comes out on May 6th. A uh, short story collection called In Between, set in the uh, Eververse I mentioned earlier, and um, I'm really, really proud of it. And um, on Twitter, you can find me at Darby Har- Darby Har- and I generally geek out there, sort of MCU stuff or comic book stuff or something, so pretty ring. Awesome. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show and, and sharing all of the insight oh, that you have. You. and. Mm-hmm genuinely from the bottom of my heart like thank you and best of luck and congratulations on this new book coming out i i can only imagine what that might feel like the anticipation and the excitement around that so really best best to you during this exciting period and i hope to have you back on the show again to to talk mcu uh, yeah absolutely yeah i'd love to love to anytime about anything mcu um it's uh i i really enjoy your your conversations you have on the pod and um if you ever want to come on our our podcast and talk about talk about mcu anything oh uh, that'd be cool too oh my gosh yeah, i'd love that absolutely so let's let's uh stay connected stay in touch and um again thank you thank you so much sure. if you enjoyed this conversation about the batman you can follow the podcast at an idea underscore podcast on instagram and twitter if you want to find out more about darby harn and check out his work you can find links in the show notes where you will also find links to the work of our podcast cover artist, Brooke Pender, and our theme music creator, Demeter Salvia. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned. Next week, we have the return of the MCU and the return of new MCU content here at There Was an Idea with Moon Knight. <laughs>